BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. A top health official in California's third largest county is urging hospitals to prepare for an onslaught of COVID-19 patients as intensive care units fill up statewide. Dr. Carl Schertz with Orange County's health care agency says ambulances have been waiting for hours to unload patients because emergency rooms are so backed up. But an official with the California Hospital Association said the biggest challenge facing hospitals right now is not enough staff who themselves are dealing with shortages of personal protective equipment and testing supplies. Statewide, more than 57,000 healthcare workers in California have tested positive for COVID so far. Dr. Bob Wachter is the chair of the Department of Medicine at UCSF. He says if the healthcare workforce is hurt, the surge here will worsen. As the communities are surging, uh, healthcare workers are getting sick the same as every as everybody else. So if we don't have enough doctors and nurses, that's probably our critical shortage. Uh, you know, there are there may be shortages of PPE in the beginning, as there were in the beginning, but that's not as critical as just making sure we have enough doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and others to to take care of you. At least 221 healthcare workers have died of COVID-19 so far this year. That's according to the latest snapshot from state public health officials. Staffing issues are top of mind in San Diego, where the number of patients hospitalized for COVID has more than doubled from a month ago to 900. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento says those hospitalization numbers are only expected to keep growing. At least 600 more patients are expected in the next couple of weeks. Demetrio Alexio leads the Hospital Association of San Diego and Imperial Counties. He says hospitals can use emergency tents to add space, but they may also seek emergency relief from a state law that mandates certain nurse-to-patient ratios. So there are some options as it relates to capacity, but again, I would still put it back on staffing that uh, we need to figure out and continue to work at having adequate staff, whether it's the state helping us whether it's flexing nurse staffing ratios. But the California Nurses Association is not on board. The labor group's director of government relations, Stephanie Roberson, says operating outside the ratios can affect patient care and nurse safety. We are opposed to it entirely. Um, We don't think it should be happening. It is not only detrimental, obviously, first and foremost to the patients, but the nurses have to have the tools available to them to do their job safely and effectively. Roberson said she's worried hospitals aren't first exhausting all other options, such as canceling elective surgeries. For the California Report, I'm Taryn Mento in San Diego.
All right. Well, back in 2016, voters in Los Angeles approved Proposition Triple H, a billion dollar measure to pay for thousands of new housing units for the homeless over a decade. But four years in, only a few hundred are done and costs have skyrocketed. Why so little housing for so much money? Well, for the last several months, KCRW's Anna Scott has been looking at one project funded with a small slice of those funds. She found it's a sinkhole for public money that reveals some of the answers. Anna joins me now. Good morning to you. And Anna, remind us, what was Proposition Triple H supposed to do? So this was a measure passed by L.A. voters back in 2016 to help the city build an additional 7,000 units of permanent supportive housing for people experiencing homelessness over 10 years. And four years in, only 333 HHH-funded units are open. The city says they are on track to meet their original goal, but it's been going really slow and the costs have been very high. And you looked at one particular project, and what you found was pretty shady. Yeah, so... I looked into this one project here in Los Angeles that's a motel conversion. So it was an old 1960s motel that some affordable housing developers are turning into apartments for homeless veterans. And there was just a lot of money that was going into this project, more than $30 million already. Uh, It's not supposed to open until March. In fact, it may need even more money. And um, I wanted to know what was going on. So I just, I followed the money. And, um, And I did find some really surprising things. You know, the two big things were... One, that the developers increased their budget on this project by buying this motel from the previous owners once for $22 million, and then on the same day, buying it again from themselves for $30 million. Nobody at the city has been able to explain this one-day $8 million price markup. The developers themselves haven't been able to explain it. But this is a lot of money tacked onto the budget of this affordable housing project that is using finite resources, including $10 million in Triple H funds to do this renovation. So, um, you know, I think there's a very important question here of of whether LA taxpayers are, are getting the most housing possible for uh, for what they're putting in. And, um, you know, and also this is badly needed housing for the tens of thousands of people who are homeless in Los Angeles. Yeah, that is really something. And thank you, by the way, for following the money there. What do you think your investigation shows about why affordable housing, as much as we talk about it, takes so long and is so expensive to build? Well, so I want to say first that, you know, look, what happened with this particular project, and there are a lot of details that the story goes into, and, you know, this may be unusual in terms of its specifics, but it really speaks to the ways that affordable housing gets funded and how this me- this measure, Proposition Triple H, was designed. You know, um, even under the best of circumstances, these projects are so complicated. Affordable housing developers have to put together money from public sources and private sources and so many different places. And um, the city here decided to plug Proposition Triple H into that system. So kind of made it just one more little slice of the pie. And you see, you can see through this one project how, you know, doing it that way, the city says, well, you know, that's the way to create the most housing possible. But it also makes it really hard for the city to control the overall budgets for these projects and the overall timing. And you really see that in this case. KCRW's Anna Scott. Anna, thank you. Thank you so much. 
We're going to go to the state capitol now where some California lawmakers are calling on the governor and state health officials to place public school teachers and staff at the front of the line for vaccines so schools can reopen sooner. KQED's Kate Wolf has the story. Officials in San Francisco and Los Angeles introduced resolutions last week asking for school workers to get priority in phase one of the vaccination rollout, right after health workers and seniors living in congregate settings. L.A. City Councilman Mike Bonin says getting teachers and staff vaccinated should get top consideration because parents and children are suffering as a result of distance learning. The state of California, the the entire country, frankly, has failed our kids. It is failing our children. It is failing families with children. And as a result, we are having waves of, of incredibly negative consequences. Last week, state representatives from San Luis Obispo and Long Beach sent a letter to California's Health and Human Services Secretary asking for teachers to be put in the first tier for the vaccine. But not all officials agree. Gabriela Lopez, a member of the San Francisco School Board and a former teacher, says essential workers, like those in grocery stores, construction and transit, should be prioritized. I personally feel given that they've been putting their bodies on the line every single day to maintain our city, they should get priority before our teachers do. Governor Newsom has said the state will receive the first doses of the Pfizer vaccine next week. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Officials in three counties on the Central Coast are pushing back against being lumped in with Southern California when it comes to state stay-at-home orders. With low COVID-19 case and death rates and high ICU bed availability, the counties say they're being penalized for their proximity to hot zones. From KCBX in San Luis Obispo, Greta Mart has more. Public health and other officials in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties want to be designated a separate region, and they want only their metrics used to determine pandemic restrictions. Greg Hart is a Santa Barbara County supervisor. We have consistently you know, done better in terms of disease transmission and hospitalizations than the rest of Southern California, and we think that it's fair and appropriate that that is recognized. Currently in San Luis Obispo County, over half of ICU beds are available. Dr. Penny Bornstein is public health officer. We are still in very much better stead. I believe that we still have the ability to to control our destiny, and we would like to do that. Local business owners are pushing just as hard. All of the chambers of commerce in the region started a petition for independence of the SoCal region, garnering tens of thousands of signatures. To my friends in the business community, We are really trying to support you. We are trying to limit the amount of time that you have to go through another arduous shutdown. We are trying to find a path forward with the state to have a reasonable approach to this for our county. Bornstein announced she and her counterparts in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties are making their case to the state's Secretary of Health. And the boards of all three counties unanimously signed a letter to the governor this week asking him to create a separate Central Coast region. For the California Report, I'm Greta Mart. At this point, all 50 states have certified their election results, and Joe Biden has won the presidency. But Texas is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to invalidate the ballots of millions of voters in four swing states. Yesterday, 106 House Republicans signed on to an amicus brief with the court. One of them joins me on the show this morning. Congressman Doug LaMalfa represents the North State. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be on with you. 
You know, the suit alleges voter fraud, but what the courts have found again and again around this country as the president and allies have tried to make that case is that there's no evidence to support that. So let me begin by asking you, what evidence do you purport to have that there was fraud in last month's election? Well, I you know, I am not in those states or in those uh, elections offices personally fl- flipping through all these pieces of information. I get what I get from the news and the anecdotes and other things, too. And all of this traces back to the issue of trying to have an untested, untried, all-mail ballot, uh, every, every ballot being sent in the mail in the states that have participated this way. So this, uh, this amicus brief is uh, intended to take a look at what is the constitutionality of changing a law in Pennsylvania that wasn't done by an act of the legislature with a governor's signature. So a lot of doubt has been cast things, on the on that purported evidence, and you know, frankly, the news sources that are a lot of doubt that are cast on, uh, promoting on that kind of false information are not credible sources of information. Why? Why the big? Uh, why? Why aren't the questions being asked? Like, well, what is this information we're seeing out there? The media seems to want to have a question about, uh, oh, this is all false, all purported. And they want to sweep it under the rug and get it over with. Like, well. Um, there is no bums rush to get all this done before uh, either December 14th when the Electoral College uh, meets or January 6th when those electoral count votes are counted in uh, the House of Representatives. And so, well, and let, first of the all, the issue here. of mail mail ballots had a lot to do with the fact that we are in a pandemic. But many courts around the country have already weighed in, including judges who were appointed uh, by President Trump. The conclusion that courts around this country have come to has been universal. And, um, you know, the president hasn't been shy about implying that he hopes that the Supreme Court will essentially come to his rescue on this. Congressman, well, the, I appreciate your time. Will, will rule. It will rule. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on that. But uh, you have to remember the president has been under attack for four complete years by just about every entity on there. So no wonder he feels a little uh, cornered on that. Uh, You know, the 14th will be a benchmark and then uh, the January 6th will be a benchmark. So I'm patient enough to see what happens on those dates. Congressman Doug LaMalfa representing parts of the North State. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be on with you. And that's the California Report for this Friday, December 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Alice Wolfley, and Holly J. McDeed. And our senior editor is Angela Corral. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically, learn more at irvine.org, and Paint Care, now with 770 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.